God, we just pray that that truth that we just sung about would penetrate our hearts today and throughout this season, God, as we think about the arrival, the sun that came into the world, God, I just pray that you would just raise our awareness, raise our response, and ultimately, God, we just pray that that truth would penetrate our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hope that your holidays were great, and uh, you had some good food and spent some good time with family, hopefully. Uh, we're coming off of a three-day tour uh, to Lexington, Kentucky, uh, which is always a good time. And uh, as we were driving back, uh, so the way down, it was about an hour and a half drive, if you're familiar with Lexington, Kentucky, but it took us four hours, and uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, but that was interesting, and uh, Jude decided to serenade us the entire time. Uh, with his melodious screaming, and uh, so I was like, I need to get out of the car, I told Jess when I got down there, I'm going to go work out, like I just need to go uh, work out at my friend's gym, and so I did that, and uh, it was fun, we had, we enjoyed the holidays, but they're not as quiet and peaceful as they once were, you know, with three kids now, and uh, not as simple uh, in a variety of ways, and we were sort of reminiscing a little bit, you know, not that we'd have it any other way, but we were reminiscing to those times of travel and holidays, like prior to kids, when you would, you know, have a nice road trip and listen to a podcast and take a nap on the couch, and all that, it's just not the same anymore, right, because um, it's just kids shake things up, they really do, and uh, so well, I found some memes to sort of help uh, just capture this, and because uh, memes are great. This is holidays as a couple before, and uh, now with kids, like, that's what it is. I was like, I'm like, how do we have so much stuff? Like, it really felt like the road tour, because I'm like, we're like a band that's traveling. Like, we have to have all kinds of sound equipment in here, so I have no idea what all this stuff is, but, and somehow it multiplies. By the time we're coming back, nothing fits in there anymore. I'm like, it all came down with us. Like, how is this possible? Uh, however, we did jam a Christmas tree and everything else uh, in on the way back, so uh, that was a good time. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit about what that's like. Um, and then this is bedtime. Like, on the road, anytime, but on the road especially, when you put your kid to bed an hour ago, but they keep reappearing, asking for water and the meaning of life. Like, how many questions could you ask? Like, everything, like, just surfaces. Hey, Dad, Dad, Dad. Hey, Dad, Dad, I got to ask you something else. Okay. Can, can I have a drink of water? We just had water, you know? But that's how that goes. Uh, and then my favorite is when Jess is like, because at the holidays, you always have to get a picture, uh, but we can never get a good one, ever. When you ask your kid to smile for a picture, like, this is all the faces we get. So uh, I don't know if any of you guys <laughs> have experienced that, but that's just how it goes. And kids, they just shake things up. They really do. And the word that I told Jess, I said, you know, we really would not have it any other way. And the word that we came up with is it's a joyful disruption. It's a joyful disruption. There's nothing more disruptive than kids entering into the world, and but there's nothing more joyful than that disruption that comes uh, with kids entering into the world. And as we talk about the Christmas stories, we really lean in this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus, right? We're going to talk about Jesus, and because uh, why wouldn't we when we're here and we're gathering uh, in this place, singing songs like we saw this morning, and leaning into the Christmas story? Um, so when you go home today, somebody asks you, would you talk about a church? Well, we talked about Jesus, obviously. Um, but there was no child that ever shook things up quite like Jesus. And just envision, if you could just imagine those that encountered him on that very first Christmas day, nobody ever could have anticipated or comprehended the joyful disruption that would come through this child, whose name is Jesus. 
and throughout this season, throughout this series, and really today's December 1, so we have 25 days to really capture the Christmas season this year. And the word that we're using is Advent, which means arrival. And as we anticipate and prepare for the arrival of Jesus in Christmas, we're going to look at some different aspects of who Jesus was and this joyful disruption that came through this child. So we're going to be looking at Jesus and what that name means today. And then we're going to be looking at Jesus as the perfect prophet and as the perfect priest and as the perfect king. And so I just want to encourage you to be here throughout this Christmas season, be leaning in, be taking some moments on your own to really capture Christmas, right, amidst all the other things that will inevitably tug at you this Christmas season, um, I just want to encourage you to really lean in and encounter the person of Jesus throughout this Christmas season. The most important question that any of us can reflect on this Christmas season and beyond is the question that was raised in that, uh, that Christmas song that many of us have sung for many years, what child is this? What child is this? Who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. All of us personally must evaluate and discover that question. What child is this? And as we consider this question today, we discover the ways Jesus was unlike any other person to ever step foot on this planet. The most beautiful, joyful disruption in human civilization. And so I just want to look at a few ways that, that Jesus was like any other. And the first thing that I think if you've t spent any time looking at the Christmas story, you've spent any time just um, looking through the scriptures, you, you learn that there has never been a name like this. There has never been a name like the name of Jesus. Listen to Matthew 1, 18 through 23 in the way that Matthew recounts the Christmas story. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this name Jesus, which really meant what we see here, because he will save his people from their sins, this word actually means God saves. Yet, this was one of the most common names of the day. And interesting, if you want to talk about just kind of a basic name in that time, the name of Jesus was a very basic name. So on the surface, it may have seen that this was just another Jewish baby, just another Jesus on a block of Jesus's. But even from this moment, his name uh, was beautifully disruptive to the status quo. There was no name like this name. There was no Jesus like this Jesus. There was never been a name like the name of Jesus. And this wasn't just any Jesus. It was Jesus, as we see here, the Messiah, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus the Christ. He was spoke about in the Old Testament as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Just the name of Jesus shook things up. And you see this happening in Jesus' time. There was this 
resistance to the name of Jesus. Even early on, there was this hatred and contempt even for the name of Jesus. And we see it first even in Herod, who, when he heard of this other king that was to come, he did everything in his power to try to destroy Jesus. Uh, But he did not. He tried everything he could to kill him. And so we see, even early on, many people who opposed the name of Jesus and just the name of Jesus created contempt in some. You know, the name that Jesus most called himself throughout the New Testament was, and that his, his personal handle, the thing that he went by more than ever, was the Son of Man. And so it seems pretty non-threatening on the surface that Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. It's like, okay, this is how he relates to humanity. And Jesus being his so his human name, the name given to him here on earth, and Son of Man aligns with that. And so as Jesus uses Son of Man, he is projecting his humanity. He's acknowledging and recognizing that he is the Son of Man, that he has come to man. He is, he is part of mankind, that he has made his dwelling among us. But there's also something else subtle that he's doing here when he's calling and referring himself as the Son of Man. This really serves a dual purpose. He's projecting his humanity, but he's also proclaiming his divinity. It was in reference to a passage in Daniel, in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, where it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom on that shall not be destroyed. And so Jesus was declaring, by calling himself the Son of Man, he was both projecting his humanity but proclaiming his divinity as the Lord of Lords. And the name of Jesus still stirs things up, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't take much to stir things up. In fact, every religion feels that it must account for the name of Jesus, if nothing else, explain the name of Jesus, or have some sort of weighing in about the name of Jesus, because the name of Jesus can't be ignored. And so they feel they must give some explanation for who this man was that turned the world upside down. And so you'll see every religion, and we could go through that. We're not going to right now, but go and study it. There's accounts of Jesus in, in, really, um, in, in every major religion. You know, when Steve and I started uh, uh, sending out some stuff about the book and, and, uh, and, and telling people about the book, uh, it's interesting because some of our posts were getting like a lot of traction. And then one of them in particular was getting a lot of traction. This book that, you know, two little uh, pastors here in Mason is starting to get some, some traction. And, uh, but interestingly, I was like, cool, we're getting a bunch of comments. And I started reading the comments, and it was like straight attack on the, you know, like all of the atheists and agnostics come out of the woodwork to blast on. Like anytime the name of Jesus is lifted up, it's interesting to me that even those that don't believe in the name, there's something that just, they it can't ignore it. They can't leave it alone, right? And I had a lot of things that I wanted to say because there was some really like just outright attacks on on our social media. Um, and, you know, just inside, I just kind of wanted to, like one of the things I was thinking is like, it's, it's so interesting like how there's so much energy and attention and response to a God that you don't even believe in, to a person that you don't even give any significance to, yet you feel you must weigh in on this random post, right, about it. And so that was kind of my, and I wanted to sort of respond to each one of these, but I felt like the Lord was just kind of like, you know what, just pray for them. 
pray for those people that are attacking the name. It's nothing new, right? It's nothing new. John 15, 18, Jesus reminds us that if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you, Jesus says. There's never been a name more openly challenged. But those who come before him in humility, no name carries greater hope. There's never been a name like this. So beautifully and powerfully disruptive. Even over the the years and over the centuries and it's really incredible that the name of jesus still just even the name of jesus being lifted up and spoken of brings about such a strong response in people it's a name that cannot be ignored there's never been a name like this there's never been a love like this we just sung about it in that song which so beautifully captures this reckless love, this God that would chase us down, that he would leave heaven and make his dwelling among us here on earth. There's never been a love like this. I want you to listen to these words with fresh ears, although I'm sure you've heard them before. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen plainly that what they have what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I mean, this perfect scripture that just captures the heart of a loving God, that God would come and make his dwelling among us. We've had a few days this past week, last week, um, prior to Thanksgiving week was uh, like we had some sickness in our, in our uh, family. And uh, I am kind of like a, like, germ like just stay back from you know like and i've developed this more and more and so right around this time of year it's like everybody everywhere you go is like coughing it just sounds like everybody everywhere's like watch that. there's germs everywhere you know i'm washing my hands all the time I'm doing everything i can to try to stay healthy but when it hits one of your kids it's like game over it's like no chance like i as much as i'm like no you know stay back and i try to convince them you know my kids they don't share a whole lot but they sure do share germs really really well and uh, they're good at it. And especially uh, my oldest, he's really good at it. As I tell him, like, cover your mouth, cover your mouth. And he just, like, forgets. Like, and he's just, like, and he's just like, cool, like, coughing, like, shout. I'm like, ah, you know, like, I'm trying to stay healthy. It's like, bro, I got to stay healthy to take care of you and the rest of them. You know, and I'm tempted to just, like, quarantine him. You know, like, that would be a lot easier. Like, they're sick, they're germy, like, go into your room, things are getting shut off, you know, we'll put, like, a hazmat area around it, you know, and just, we'll stay back, it'll all be good, we'll all stay healthy, and, uh, but that's not gonna happen, right, and especially not as a parent, like, it's my responsibility to, to step in and take care of them, so by, um, we had, we'd gone on Wednesday night, and Aiden had croup, and so we went late at night to the, you know, and there's just something that happens, despite the fact that I'm, like, stay away from the germs, that 
it happens when it's your own kids and you care about them and you're like, all right, you know, and so now I'm taking them to the, the, uh, the urgent care at 1130 at night. I didn't sleep for like several of the nights because he was coughing and going in and checking on him. And multiple nights that week, I'm sleeping on kids' floor. Like, I'm in the danger zone. Like, I'm on the floor, and they're just coughing, and, you know, but they wake up, and they're all out of sorts. I'm trying to, and then one night, like, Jude started to kind of get it. I'm like, no, not him. You know, so I'm sleeping on his floor, like, listening the whole time, like, making sure his, like, cough is not getting worse or, like, nothing. He's like, you know, because he's so little, and so I'm, like, worried about him. And uh, one night, we were down, and, all, like, all, all of us are down in the basement. I'm the one healthy one, and there's just everybody's like, ah everywhere like there's just this cloud of coughing i'm like you know and i just give up you know um but something changes when it's your own kids um and i don't think i'll ever fully be able to understand the extent of what it means that christ came down that god came down to us but at some level i start to understand the motive behind it I can understand a little bit more. Now, I, I'm not going to pretend that I fully understand the heart of God, but at some small level, I understand the motive behind it. I don't know that I'll ever be able to fully fathom the sinless God invading sinful humanity, the pureness of Christ taking on all impurity, God cleansing us and caring for us in that way. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, think about the weight of that one passage. The sinless Jesus taking on the sin of humanity. The one that was spotless, the one that was, if anyone was not deserving of wrath, it was not deserving of sin. It was Jesus, and yet he took that on. How could he do that? And we know the motive. It sounds simple. Let's not overlook it, though. The motive was love. But there's never been a love like this, has there? You know, I suppose God could have left us to our own devices. He would have had every right to do so. But that's not his nature. God is the essence of love. A love unlike any other love. A love that is spoke about uh, from Paul to the Romans in 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He could have tried to quarantine us. He could have shut us off from his perfect presence. Yet God stepped down into humanity. He rolled up his sleeves and he took on sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think that because we can't fully grasp the depth of that love, we forget that's why I prayed that prayer earlier. God, let that truth penetrate us that we sung about. Because I think it's easy for us to forgive because forget because we don't love like that. It's not natural for us to love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable. Yet that is what Christ has done for us. So let me just tell you, if you're still holding on to this belief that you are undeserving, while that is true, you have to know that, that God responds to and comes to the undeserving. If you think, I could never receive God's love, I'm not clean enough, I'm not good enough, there's no way I could ever live up to that. In fact, you are true, but God came to us. You don't have to make your way to God. To those who still hold to this belief that they're unlovable, undeserving, unable to be forgiven, too clean, too unclean to stand in the presence of God, know this, God came down. He invaded our world. 
He loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. He gave his life for the undeserving. And he still makes his dwelling among sinners like you and me if we will simply welcome him. There's never been a love like this. And there's never been a might, a, a power like this. I think in so many ways we minimize who Jesus really is if we're not careful. I think culturally we become so unimpressed by God without even realizing it. We're taught to be unimpressed by God. We get casually complacent, right? I think some of it has to do with how we've been conditioned to think in the West. Yet there's profound things happening around the world. I asked a friend of mine recently who uh, works for a missions organization and spends time in a lot of different missions fields. I asked him, what's the toughest mission field? And his answer didn't really surprise me. He said, the United States. That's the toughest, toughest mission field. Well, why is that? I think we get in our own way, don't we? We become unimpressed with who God is. And so we miss out on his presence. We miss out on his power. Yet the power of Jesus is so profound around the world. Yet we've adopted, in many ways, a weaker view of Jesus and what he is capable of. Our westernized view wants to explain away his power. He was just a great teacher. He was just a gentle soul. And we see these pictures of little lambs running beside him. But I want you to comprehend and grasp for just a second the Jesus that we really see in, in Revelation, which is Jesus was a force to be reckoned with. And when he returns, he's going to return in power. His power is beyond all compare. There's nothing that contain, could contain his power. And whether we try to strip him of his power or not, Christ will reign in power and glory. And we see in John 10 that all throughout the, the New Testament, we see that they're trying to strip Jesus of his power. And they show contempt for his name. This is again, his Jewish opponents picked up some stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. But what if that claim was true? What if he actually was God? And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own son and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. I love that. He just throws that challenge out there, right? Tell you what, believe me if I prove to be who I say that I am. Don't believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. And I love this challenge that Jesus lays out. He says, I'm not just going to tell you who I am. I'm going to show you who I am. And in fact, God has done the same thing for us. He hasn't just told us who he is. He has shown us who he is through the displays of his power all throughout the Gospels we've seen it. And I just kind of wonder, like, you know, if I was Jesus, I would just be thinking, what more do you want? What more can I show you? I've turned water into wine. Have you ever seen that one before? I didn't think so. I've fed 5,000 people. Just a flick of my wrist is no problem at all. I've walked on water. 
I've healed the sick. I've raised dead people to life. And I tell you what, I've got one more trick up my sleeve. I'm going to be laid in the tomb, but the tomb's not going to hold me. You want to see power, you're about to see power. And Jesus is an incredible power. There's never been a power like that that is found in the person of Jesus. He doesn't just show us who he is, say who he is, he's just shown us who he is. And I fear that many of us will miss his power because we reject his presence. We've got to be willing to welcome him and welcome his presence if we want to see his power at work in our lives. Jesus is still doing the impossible. We see these stories happening all around the world. Just because we don't feel like the, the examples are as readily accessible to us here, I'm telling you, these things are happening. And we had, uh, when Steve and I went to this conference, um, we got to hear from this guy named Shadonki, who Stephen's talked a little bit about too, who's um, a pastor in Sierra Leone. And in a predominantly Muslim area, the gospel is spreading like wildfire as they're raising up the name of Jesus. And they don't have buildings like this. They don't need them. They just... They just send out these leaders who have fallen in love with Jesus, and they just, they go around, and they open up their homes, and they start churches in that way. I mean, believe it or not, the power, there's power in this name. And this general, I mean, it's just been unprecedented, the move of God in this area. And he shares all these stories just quite humbly, and, and here he is, just this pastor that's just so willing uh, to just step out amidst persecution that is very, uh, very much happening in that area as well. And uh, there was this one general that, that Shadonki told this story about who, um, who, who was basically looking for him because he was disrupting, causing so much disruption in the name of Jesus, right? And so this general wanted to find him. And these guys, they eventually find Shadonki, and they take him to this general, and they say, here's the man that you, that's been, we've been telling you about who's been causing all this trouble in the name of Jesus. And so um, Shadonki... Um, realizes this is not good, you know, uh, or maybe it will be, but he's like, I, you know, I, I don't know what this moment holds for me, and so they're like, what do you want us to do with them? And they're like, we'll kill him. And uh, so they have him get down on his knees, gun to his back. He thinks, like, this could be my moment, you know, and so he prays to God. He says, God, if this is my moment, I'm ready to see you. I'm ready to be with you. Uh, but if it's not, um, I just ask, and, or even if it is my moment, I ask, will you let me bring you one more present? I want, I want this general to know you. I want to, I want to, I want to bring this general, I want this general to, uh, to have a relationship with you too, Jesus. And so let me bring you this one last present. Let me do this one last thing for you. And so as he's got this gun in his back, he says, can I say one last thing? And uh, he's like, yeah, sure. What, you know, what's it matter now? And so he starts to speak and he, he tells him, he says, uh, general, um, I, I, if, if you kill me today, that's, that's no problem because I'll be finally going home. And uh, you can kill me, but what I'm worried about is that if you do not receive the name of Jesus, you will never have a place to go when you die. You will not be able to go home. And uh, he said that, like, this rattles the generals. He doesn't even know how to respond to it, you know? And so he says, just send him away. And so he sends him away, and the general then later, as this, this gospel, this seed that is planted in him, just becomes disruptive inside of his spirit. He can't shake it, what was just said to him. And so he finds Shadonki, and he says, first of all, people don't normally speak to me that way. And, uh, and number two, um, you said that, that I would not have a place to go um, I will not have a, a place to call home when I die. Tell me more about that. So he goes on, he proceeds to share the gospel. And this general, the most last person you would ever expect 
the one who's persecuted in the name of Jesus has received the name of Jesus, and now he's a church planter um, in, uh, in, in one of Shadonki's churches. And I, it's just amazing stuff that's happening. And, and there is story after story that he's sharing. My point is that God is still powerfully at work if we would simply welcome his presence. In Sierra Leone, throughout Africa, the abnormal, extraordinary power of God has become the norm. You could say that it's become joyfully disruptive. And my question for you as we finish up today is, what could the power of Jesus accomplish in you? What could Jesus do in you? What kind of joyful disruption if we would just let our guard down and welcome him? What kind of joyful disruption awaits you in Christ? And I know it's easy when you come in to kind of put up that tough exterior to guard your heart from really encountering God and allowing Jesus to work in you and through you. But I'm telling you, it is disruptive. Let's not lie about what happens when you invite Jesus into your life. It is disruptive, but there is no greater joy than the joy of Jesus. There is no greater disruption than that that comes in the name of Jesus. And so, what does God want to do in you this Christmas season if you would simply welcome him? Because God sent his son first as a child in humility, but when the son returns, he will return in power and terrifying might. And those who were once unimpressed, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Matthew 24, 30 to 31, it says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. When Jesus reappears, it will be in power and might. So as we think about this series that we really enter into, and really the season that we enter into, Advent, Latin, Adventus, arrival, the arrival, the most joyfully disruptive arrival that mankind has ever known. And it's in this season that we celebrate the arrival of, of heaven to earth as heaven collided with earth. The arrival of hope to humanity. The arrival of power to the powerless. And so as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, let me just offer you three challenges in preparation over the next 25 days. And we're going to sing here in just a minute um, after we pray, but here's the three challenges. O come, let us trust in his name. As a people, as individuals, oh, come, let us trust in his name. There's no name like the name of Jesus. Over the course of the next 25 days and beyond, may we more deeply trust in his name. Oh, come, let us welcome his love. Maybe you've hardened your heart over the years, and maybe you've just become numb to the gospel being presented. Let me just encourage you, let that guard down. Let God soften your heart in such a way that his love can invade your life once more. Oh, come, let us welcome his love. And lastly, just like the song we're about to sing, declares, oh, come, let us adore him. There's no more worthy response to the person of Jesus, to the one who comes to us, than adoration. Let us come before him in adoration. Let us seize every opportunity 
this season to adore him, to appreciate him, to, to come before him in gratitude. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to sing out together uh, one more time today in preparation for the Advent season together. We're going to sing, O come, let us adore him. O come, all you faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this gift that was unlike any other gift. This name that is unlike any other name. This love that's unlike any love. And this power that is unlike any power. God, we just want to invite your presence. Shower us with your presence, O oh God. May we come and trust in you. May we come and welcome you. And God, may we come and just adore you. For you are worthy of our praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen.